So I've been looking forward to today and the next uh, several weeks for a while now. This was actually one of the um, first ideas I had upon arrival here at Parkford. Um, there were so many people that were introducing themselves to me and just saying, um, I-, I want you to hear my story. And, and they'd share their testimony, and it was beautiful. And, and all, it was like person after person, and they were like, I- I'd love for a chance to share this testimony with the body at some point. And it was happening week after week. Um, and, and the more I thought about it, the more I, I, I was like, that, that's exactly, I, I think, what the Lord would have. Uh, a season of just hearing testimonies at, at Parker Ford Church from the body, for the body. And, and so that's what we're going to do for, for the next uh, six or seven weeks. We're, each week, we're going to hear from a different person, and they're going to share their story. And for some, it might be, you know, how they came to Christ. For others, it might be what it's been like walking with Christ. For others, it'll be going through some trauma and hard times and how the Lord walked with them. And what I'd like to, before before we begin this morning, and uh, Josh was our, our first volunteer, and um, I was really willing that he was, really glad that he was willing to do this first, but before Josh starts sharing his story, I want to encourage the body with a couple of things. First of all, this is, this is Christ's story in Josh, Right? It's the same Christ that lives in Josh and works in Josh that works in you and, and works in me. So when a person gives testimony to the Lord, the testimony that they're pointing towards is Jesus Christ, right? And, and Jesus Christ is the center of all prophecy. We see that in the book of Revelation when John falls down to worship the angel. The angel says, get up, John, for the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus Christ. A testimony of Christ. And then later there's that beautiful, beautiful verse in Revelation that says, we, the saints of God, will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So there's, there's something about our victory in Christ that comes through our testimony. This is what Jesus has done in me. And so even though um, this looks a little bit different, we're, we're not going to have a, a sermon proper um, today, I believe with all my heart that the Lord would desire to encourage you through this story, and um, also, and this this part I'm really excited about, each week I've assigned one of our elders to listen actively to the story. They're not allowed to prepare beforehand. Um, they've got to come, and they're, this week it's Josh Hostetter, and so Josh is going to be listening to Josh Kampf as he shares the story, and then at the end, um, Josh Hostetter is going to come up and lead us in a reflection in the Word of God based on what he's heard. Uh, today. So active listening to the Word of God in real time, which is really cool. Um, That's how the Lord would have us interact with His Word, to be able to, like David says, I've hidden your Word in my heart. Why? So that 24-7, I might not sin against you, right? I might walk with you, and it comes to mind. And so we're going to practice that this morning, where we're going to invite the Spirit of God uh, to lead uh, Josh Hostetter as he leads us in a reflection at the end. The, The last little note here is these, these individuals who will be sharing with us, they're going to be sharing some pretty vulnerable pieces of their story. So I would just exhort you to be careful with the information that they share. And, and also, um, you don't need to correct them. Or afterwards, if they said something you feel like was wrong, you don't need to rebuke them. You don't need to offer. This is their story, right? And so, and so just like you'd want someone to treat your story, let's treat their story. 
And, and also, it can be a little overwhelming after you give the word when everyone swarms around you. So maybe, maybe some people will like that. Others might not. But just be sensitive um, in, in how you respond uh, to the person who's sharing their testimony. All right. Make sense? All right, cool. I'm going to pray for us one more time. And then um, we're going to do this interview style this morning with, uh, with Josh. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your story. And that's, that's actually what we want to hear today. We love our brother um, and we love, you know, every, every person in here is part of the family, God, and what a blessing it is to be in relationship with one another. At the end of the day, there's one person we're looking for. There's one story we're looking for. Uh, there's one name that's going to be lifted up, and, and it's Jesus. And so we would just pray for our brother today as he shares his, his story with us, that we would be encouraged, that we would know you better. That's, that's what I desire most of all out of this, is that in hearing people give testimony to you, that we would know Jesus Christ better. And there's something about stories that change us. I know, I know so many dark points in my life, points of depression, points of despair. It's been someone's story that's, that's pulled me through. Someone who went through something similar and God worked in their life. That, that's what's brought me through so many stormy times. And so I would pray for that as well this morning as Josh is sharing that, um, that it would be a blessing to m- some people who might be going through some similar things. And we would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh, thanks. Value this time. Uh, just start us off. Tell us a little bit. You're, you're our uh, worship director here, so people get to see you all the time, but I don't know how well they know you. So um, can you just share a little bit about growing up, family, church, what, what your life was like as a kid? Sure. I grew up right on Charlotte Street in Pottstown. Um, if you know where that is, right, right on the outskirts of Pottsgrove. Um, I remember walking as a kid to down to, I think it was Woolworths. Um, to go buy baseball cards down there. That was a lot of what we did growing up. Um, so I grew up in town. We played hockey and basketball and went over to Franklin, uh, played pickup baseball over there. Um, I've been in Pottstown basically my whole life on the outskirts and back home. I grew up um, going to church over at um, Brain Bible Church, which is uh, across from Patillo's, if you know where that is. Um, Brad and I went there together. Um, had a lot of memories there. Um, parents were there. Um, and my in-laws actually are still attending there. Awesome. So um, you've shared with me, and I've gotten to know you pretty well over the last year, but you've shared with me that the first year of college you went to Cedarville, and there was some incredibly impactful and difficult things that happened. Then can you, can you tell us about college and about what your year at Cedarville was like and what the Lord did? Um, just a, a word of warning. I've already been fighting back tears about twice this morning, so I'll do my best here. Um, so in high school, I was in ROTC, um, which involved, you know, wearing a uniform to school. We learned a lot about military stuff, and it was, it was really interesting. A lot of engineering. We did a lot of cool field trips. There was also a scholarship that was available, and I applied for the scholarship, um, and I got it. So it was going to be $45,000 to go to Cedarville. Computer information systems was going to be my major. My first day at Cedarville, I got there, and they're like, yeah, you got your medically disqualified. You don't have the scholarship anymore. And it's kind of like, huh, like that's the way I'm going to find out about this. Um, and I'd done a bunch of tests. I'd been a bunch of neurologists because um, I had had some concussions in high school. Everybody said it was fine. Apparently, I wasn't fine, or at least not good enough for the Air Force anyway. So that was like my first day at Cedarville. Um, so it was like, I thought I was going this way, and real quick, boop, change in direction. So I tried to stay in the program, and like after all that turmoil, it was kind of like I just didn't feel like this was what God was desiring for me. So I changed my major, 
went from computer information systems to Bible. Um, but it still was, it was still a time of, of questioning and time of like, how did this happen? And it, it turned into a very dark time. Um, and I'm not sure what precipitated it, but it like, it got bad quick. And like, I just started going over in my head a bunch of things that I felt made me unworthy. And so I like, I could just like rattle off this list of things that I did. And it was like, it was like this disc that just kept playing and playing and playing in my head. And there was times where I could like not focus on it and I could not like I kind of drowned it out or be busy doing something else, but I couldn't get away from it. It was like everywhere I turned, like there it was. Um, until one night, like it was, it got to the point where I didn't think I wanted to live anymore. And I thought, you know, why should God love me? My family shouldn't love me. And I, I wrote a note from my parents. And I went out to a field. I had a knife with me. And thankfully, my friends figured out what was going on. And they, um, they called the public safety, called the cops. And there was, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on at that point. In the midst of all this... Um, I mean, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, Cedarville's policy was any, any, um, I'm not sure what the term they used for it, but anything involving suicide, you had to, you immediately were kicked out of school. Um, but it didn't happen. My quote-unquote punishment was I had to go home and tell my parents, which, you know, that was, you know, it was, it was a lot thinking about that. So my, my RD, who was in charge of my dorm, um, a couple of my friends, they rode home with me, whatever it was, six, eight hours to come and tell my parents. Um, and my parents had no idea what was going on, why everybody was coming. You know, here we are in this you know, car that says Cedarville across the side in the driveway. Um, and so that was tough. Um, that was really tough. And I can, I remember, there's not many things that I remember that my dad has said in my life, and I can remember exactly what he said. And um, his words when I told him were, what about all the catches we had playing baseball? And that was that was what he said. And like I still, I, I don't know, know why he said that, and I don't know in that moment why that was the words to say, but that's what he said. Um, when we were talking the other day, <coughs> and just going over what what you were going to share this morning, you told this story about the driving down the road. Mm-hmm. And there was some time later, and this is something where, like, sometimes I feel very strongly on the need of sharing parts of that with certain people, and other times, like, it has a certain stigma, like, oh, you had counseling, you struggle with depression, it's kind of like, uh, we don't want to talk about that. I was um, playing it in a band with, with Damien, and the one guy that, that played the bass, we were talking after practice one day, and he, he started telling me the stuff he was going through. And I just felt like God was telling me, hey, tell him about what was going on with you. And I remember in that time when I was really struggling, I remember driving down the road in my car and looking at telephone poles and thinking, this is going to be the one. 
I'm just going to pull my car away from the side of the road. And so I started telling this guy that story, and he looked at me, and his eyes were as big as saucers, and he thought I was kidding. And he's like, I just had that same struggle this week. And it was just kind of one of those moments where, like, man, you, know, you think sometimes what you're going through, like, you're the only one, and nobody understands. Um, and Satan uses that almost to, like, shame you and make you want to hide. And, and not that it's something that I would say uh, I'm proud of this, but I know that there was a reason for it. Um, and I know that, you know, we're told to comfort others. Um, and so, like, this morning, if, if you're having any thoughts like that at all, I mean, you're not alone. And Satan would very like to use that to deceive you. And, and, and I think part of it, if I can, I think, like, that it's so, it's so close to being a good thought. Like, the idea that, hey, God's different than me, and I'm not worthy of him. And so, like, it has, like, this, this twist of, like, it's, it's almost kind of like you're wearing, you know, you're in the eye doctors, and you're putting the glasses on, and, like, is it this one, or is it this one? Is it this one, or is it, like, sometimes it seems like, in that moment, like, ah, it's almost right, what I'm thinking, but it, it's just that little distortion, and Satan, he's so, he's no sneaky. Um. <laughs> so after I, after I, I, I ended up changing schools, and I went to, to what is now Cairn, then it was Philadelphia College Bible, then it became Philadelphia Biblical, um, I was working and going to school. So I just, I felt like that's, it was the smart decision for me at that point. So I was, classes, Tuesday, Thursday, working Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I was working construction. I was working down at Conchahawken with a guy, and we were working on a deck, putting on, um, the deck had rotted, so it was in three-quarter boards that were bad, so we cut some of those out and put some new ones on. Um, he left me there with some job, some materials, he went to go get some more stuff, and I'm there, and I'm ripping one of the boards. We got to the last one, and it was, you know, the, whatever the dimension is, it was too big, so I had to rip it down. And somehow when I was ripping this board with a circular saw, I wasn't ripping it like this. I was ripping it like this, holding the board. And so with a circular saw, I, I cut right into to my hand. Um, and my father, um, normally any sight of blood, he like passes out. Like he's on the ground. Thankfully, I didn't pass out. Just grab my hand. Somebody help me. I run out of the street. Um, I had no idea where I was at. I was in the middle of somewhere. I mean, there was houses. I, I didn't know where I was. Um, so this guy came out of the house. What's going on? He sees, I mean, there's blood going everywhere. Um, so they call an ambulance, take me to the hospital. I remember being in the emergency room. I'm there. Like, at that point, you're in the emergency room. You're there. Ten minutes, it's an emergency. Three hours later, like, they forget about you and they're in the other room. So I'm there, like, I'm looking at, looking at my hand. At that point, I'm kind of getting comfortable with it. You know, the nurse comes in. Do you want to cover that up? No, no, I mean, no. Well, then the doctor comes in, and he's, like, yelling at me. I mean, I'm 22-ish, something like that. Move your fingers, kid. We don't have time for this. I couldn't move my fingers. <laughs> I cut through the nerves and the tendons um, and three of my fingers. It, like, it was impossible for me to move my fingers. Um, so at that point, they realized, oh, I think this is pretty serious. So they called up to the hand surgeon and took me up there, and I'll never forget that. You know, the, well, you probably don't want to know. But, um, <laughs> you know, so. But that was, that was a long summer. And actually, one of the kids in Sunday school, the other week we were talking about uh, the man, um, the paralytic man, who his friends came and brought him to Jesus. Um, and I was telling this story, and I had my, my therapy putty with me for my, for my hand. And this kid, you know, one of the kids in Sunday school, what's that, putty? What's that? What's that? Can I, what, is, what? Like, the whole time. Like, and here I'm thinking, there's a reason why I need to tell this story 
So I told them the story about what happened with my hand, and I remember the story in that summer. I found out really quick who my friends were and who said they were my friend and didn't really come around. And so telling the kids, I said, you know, you can tell who your friends are by how they care for you. And conversely, you know, who are you caring for and who are you showing that you're their friend? Because there was one guy, I remember, that came over. He made me a one-handed miniature golf club and strapped it to my hand, and we went and played miniature golf because um, that was about all I could do. I couldn't drive anywhere, and was, but um, we played a lot of miniature golf that summer. It's like some cartoon-like uh, pirate character or something. But amazingly, like, I didn't cut through any of the bones in any of my fingers. Um, so like, I, I can move them. I just I can't. If you make a fist... I can do this one. I, I can't bend the digit there, the last digit. It just it doesn't. I can make it happen, but it won't do it on its own. So I often, when I tell people what had happened, like God wasn't done with my hand yet. So. Clearly, this is left hand for playing. Um, t- tell us about your family and you and your relationship with Stacy, your kids, all that. So post graduation. Um, wasn't really sure what was next. Um, had a job working with a roofer and ended up dating, starting to date Stacy. Um, we had dated, give or take, six months. Um, we had sex one time and we got pregnant. And so real quick, that was, there was a lot, um, a lot changing <laughs> very quick. There was a lot of, um, I would say, pressure. Um, it was very difficult at that point to know what was the right thing to do going forward. And I don't know if we were capable of making that decision. Um, and I don't know, looking back at it, if we were even asked to make any decisions. There was a lot of pressure to do what was expected. So it was, um, we felt a lot of shame and we felt like we were um, almost kind of overlooked by those around us and um, it was it was a tough time Um, we got married four months later I was a very selfish person very selfish and we found out really quick how selfish I was Um, I didn't know anything about what love was what it was like to be a dad what it was like to be a husband I most certainly wasn't um, my wife's dad. Um, uh, he's a very kind and very pleasant and a servant. And most of the time, that's not uh, who I was at that point. Um, so my wife, Stacy, she cried herself to sleep for a year or so, two years, because um, I was not a good husband. And the shame of it was we, like, we, we were trying, we tried to ask for help, and we tried to, and the help we got was to go figure this out on your own. And so there was really nobody that came alongside us, and we needed that. And not to put blame on somebody else, but, I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but I feel like there's a lot of times where we're, when we're struggling where we need those around us to help. And, and sometimes the burden that you're bearing, you can't do it alone. And it helps hearing the wisdom from people that have gone before you. And sometimes they've gone through a lot of the exact same things. 
So just to, in response to that, I've been sitting here praying, asking the Lord, and I think I think I hear him affirming that this is worth being said, that there is no such thing as an illegitimate child. That's not a thing. When God looks at children, there is no such thing as an illegitimate child. And so that that whole word needs to be totally removed from the Christian faith. When, when God sees children, they're his children, made in his image, carrying his image. So let me just affirm that from your story. Um, you, you've shared with me, this is really cool, that in that season, that was probably the hardest of your guys' life when you were isolated, alone, had a lot of shame coming at you, a lot of guilt coming at you, not much help. Um, there was one couple that kind of stepped to the bat. And and maybe the Lord sent as, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember when it started, um, but at some point after that, there was this couple that that started to get to know us, and we started getting together with them. And it was like once a month, then ended up being like twice a month, then ended up being like every week we were getting together, and we were we had shared dinner together, and then Stacy would go up and spend time with with um, this lady, and I would get, get downstairs and spend time with the guy, and we'd like maybe we'd read a book together and talk about it, we'd pray, read some scripture. Um, but it was one of those moments where, like, I don't know if there was an intentional teaching going on, but just being around somebody that you felt like was godly and wiser, it was very healthy. And it was like, like, I, I just was eating that up. I mean, it was, it was a good thing to be around. And so I, I'm sure that that was a big turning point for us in our marriage. Um, yeah, and then um, you shared with me that that model that was given to you, then you were you guys in the years since then have been able to kind of be that for some others. Yeah, there was a couple couples that we had come in contact with the last couple of years um, who had a kid, weren't married, didn't know what. Like, hey, what what do we do? What's next? And so, in some of those moments, Stacy did a lot of the talking because most times I could tell him what I did, and I would just tell him do the opposite because, like. <laughs> Most of the stuff I look back on, it was like, oh, don't do that, don't do that, yeah, don't, yeah, not that one. So, but Stacy was very helpful um, in those times, and I think it's helped us grow as a couple, as to learn. You know, there's there's sometimes where you think you have something to say, and then there's other times where hey, just somebody else can probably say it better than you. Um, so Stacy did a lot of that, um, but it was nice just to be there for him and to let him know that like no matter what happens here, you know, we're, we're there for you. Um, if, if you feel pressured to make certain decisions, you know, we're still going to love you guys. Because um, there's a certain, in those moments, there's a certain sense of, like, I have, I have to earn favor or approval. And it's just, there's just a lot of, you're making a decision for this lady who could be your wife, this unborn child. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot. We just, we felt that call, like, hey, we were through this. Nobody helped us. How can we not be there for somebody else in the same situation? So we didn't. We didn't uh, talk about this, but I want to ask, and you can take this wherever you want to or not. But coming out of like the deep depression you were in, and then the isolation and the shame uh, w- with the situation you guys found yourselves in, um, uh, what kind of how would you how would you t- just briefly talk about where how the Lord has built you up since then and your relationship with him, the freedom you found in Christ um, and and not being that husband and dad anymore but but being a new a new creation 
I think some of it was like certain patterns and you're involved in these certain patterns, maybe not even quote unquote destructive, but like, you know, like you're walking by the pantry door and you see the brownies there and oh, look, there's brownies. I'm going to go eat them. Well, stop walking by the pantry door. And so like similar for me, if being alone is a spot where it's not healthy for me to be alone, well, stop being alone because in those moments of aloneness, like that's where Satan starts getting in my head. Um, so it was almost like, you know, breaking those patterns um, and not by yourself. Is that it? Yeah, that's, yeah. Actually. But it's not, and it's something that, like, Satan knows that. And so, like, you hear these whispers, and there's sometimes now where I still hear stuff like that and just call it out for what it is. That's not true. You know, you can fly away. Like, the, don't let the birds come and make a nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I would just affirm as a friend and having walked with you, um, the last the last year really being in your home and stuff like uh, Josh is a tender dad and present with his kids and thoughtful and it's it's incredible to see that transformation um and knowing the story and and uh, getting to experience that has, has been beautiful for me um so tell us tell us about how, how in the world did you end up at park board and uh, well how did God use your story to to call you here and What's that been like? So Stacy and I were, were serving um, at, a, at another church. And at that point, those of you who were here, um, Corey became the, the worship director. And Corey and I were f- really good friends growing up. I was actually his youth group leader. Um, and he was a kid underneath me. And I actually taught him how to play the guitar and worked with him on, on leading worship. And um, so when he was asked to come here, like Stacy and I were praying about it. I was like, that's my friend. I need to come alongside my friend and help him out. And um, so we came. And it it didn't exactly happen the way that we thought it was going to. And, I mean, God was definitely working in it. Um, but we knew we needed to be here to support him um, in any way that we could. And then ended up that, you know, we both were at camp together, which we both ended up then leaving camp. And then, you know, he was looking for a full-time job. Got called the Morningstar. And then we were here, and it was like, kind of looking around. Well, I guess it's me. Um, and then the elders came alongside that and affirmed that call, and so that was how we ended up in the position we're in now. Cool. Tell us, uh, tell us about um, your vision for worship ministry and the worship team, worship planning team um, at, at Park Ford going forward. What do you, what do you hope to see? What are you, what are you working towards? And what do you sense from the Lord? I think some of that um, comes from where I've come from. So I know that there's certain people here that, that really um, affirm when we sing hymns and um, really let me know when, when we sing them. I, I believe in hymns, and um, I love, um, yeah, there's just something about something you're singing from your belly and, and an old song that you don't need the words. Um, and and the there's certain things that have been in, in our past in the faith that are good things that we need to, to learn from and to remember. And so taking that and bringing that with us, and even to share to my kids and to your kids, like things that had value back then, they still have value. And so how do, how do we use that in a way that seems valuable to kids? Um, but the same thing with a new song. I mean, I, I think we're called to sing a new song, so I believe in that. But yet all that doesn't happen by myself. And so I think that was one of the things that the elders have very um, 
been very vocal about is their desire for this to be a team. And, you know, even just like seeing certain people that have, some people have been a part of this for a while, some people fresh, and it's all of us together. And so certain people have a vision for what's coming and, and what's next, and they share that, and we work together with the planning team and say, hey, what do you think about this? And, and where's God leading us? Um, intergenerational, for sure. And, and a lot of what I think is next for us is growing together. And I think as a church, and even as a team, but growing together relationally. And I think that is very important for us. So there's a couple of different uh, teams that you help lead. The one is the worship team that we see up here on Sunday mornings. Another one that's kind of behind the scenes is the worship planning team. Can you tell us about that team and what they do? And uh, it's, yeah. it's a very fun team. Um, it's a very curious team. Um, there's a different age groups, different um, demographics. I mean, we're like different stories. So when we come together, it's like sometimes we're just throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks. But it's good because it's, it fosters creativity. And sometimes thinking outside the box is a good thing. Sometimes you're outside the box and it needs to stay outside the box. So we just got to be aware of, you know, where we're at and what's next. Um, but it's, it's fun. Um, it's, it's very very encouraging and it's very vulnerable all at the same time and I think it's brought um, alive certain people you know like Christina and, and Gretchen some things that maybe they forgot about or maybe something that they were afraid to go after and it's a safe place to go after stuff so just to be clear the worship planning team's a, a group of us that meet a couple times a month and just pray about like what special things would the Lord have us engage as a church like art projects or special services. So the worship planning team oversees like the Tenebrae services. The worship planning team is the one who put together the Lent series that we walked through and that kind of thing. So that, that team functions really, really helpful for me as a pastor because that, te- that team's like my creative arm that I get to be a part of. And so uh, Josh oversees that team and does a great job leading it. Anything else you want to say about um, worship or about um, what you sense the Lord doing in your life right now? Yeah, I think, um, and this is something that I've had to come to terms with, maybe that's not the best phrase, but that's what I'm thinking of, is is who I am and, like, what has happened in the past and being able to be honest and vocal and to look at it um, very discerning. It's been helpful for me with Isaac and Hannah um, to know the similarities that are between us. And I think, you know, as a parent... You know, sometimes, oh, why are they doing that? And why, why was this? And what happened? And sometimes I think it's because we're not honest about who we are. And so it almost kind of like cripples us in how we parent them. And so my philosophy has been we've, when the kids have seemed like they're mature enough, we've been very vocal and very honest about what has happened. And so, like, if they're hearing something, hopefully they're hearing it from us first before they're hearing it somewhere else. Um, now that I don't know that we've made all those decisions correctly. We've tried. Um, but just knowing, especially today, knowing the idolatry that's coming after the kids and knowing there's so many things that are pulling after them and they're going to be worshiping something. And rather someone than something. So what, um, as we wrap up this time of you sharing, what what's God doing in your life right now? What What's like maybe a scripture or a song or, or something that is, has really been speaking to you about him and your relationship with him? 
It's not exactly what you asked for, but I think some of what we've been learning um, is how to love and how to be vulnerable and not to get anything back. You know, in in that sense of giving and knowing it's what God's called you to do, um, and not knowing what the result is, and then sometimes having results come and then not being what you wanted, um, but yet knowing that you're doing what God is asking you to do. Before I um, invite Josh up, is there anything else you'd like to share or say? Um, the only thing I, I would this thought had came to me before is like looking back on everything that I've come through and where God has brought me now, like any one of those moments, if you didn't believe in God, like you'd look at them, you know, just like one random puzzle piece and you'd look at them and it, what is this? What is this moment? You know, me cutting my hand, you know, us being at camp and everything, all these like quote unquote random moments. But when you put all them together and see how, like how well they're all knit together Outside of pointing that towards God, I like, how does that even make sense? Um, you know, if you look back on like where, where we came from, like when we left camp, we had we had no money for a house. So, wh- what's next, God? And those people came and said, "Yeah, we're going to buy you a house." Okay, like how does that like stuff like that doesn't happen outside of God, you know, providing for His people and God's people coming together. Um, so in the, in those moments, everything that happened, like. Don't hear me, and that like it's that's just God. Like I can't take credit for that. God did it, for sure. Amen. Josh, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate. It. I know it's not easy to sit up here and share those pieces of darkness and vulnerability. I, I'd encourage you guys this week maybe to look at Psalm seventy-eight, where Asaph says, um, "We will tell to the next generation the dark stories of our past." Um, in other words, our, our kids learn from our mistakes, right? They don't, have to, they don't have to go through the same things as we're honest and vulnerable and open. And that's what I hear you uh, saying in that. So um, Josh Hosetter, our, our other Josh here this morning, I, I want to invite you forward and, and come uh, lead us in a reflection in the word. Good morning. Um, so I've been asked to give a reflection to you. And and then um, to the body as well. So um, yeah, thanks Josh for sharing that and um, yeah, just the honesty and like the vulnerability of like these milestones, both good and not so good, you know, in your life. I think um, is probably relatable to a lot of our stories, and that we go through these experiences um, where we have positive and negative moments in our life. And um, so the one thing um, that just kind of kept coming back to me is the word belonging for you. Um, And so um, the therapeutic mind that I got on this uh, is that, you know, when you consistently kind of said through your story, like there were these moments where you needed help and there weren't people there. And yet, like every time, and even to the point where, um, you know, you were like, there isn't anybody there. Like I am all alone. So 
my life doesn't ha- hold value anymore. And even in that moment, like every one of your stories had somebody who was there for you. Um, and, and so when we have these like experiences in our life and when we have these needs that we know are real, like to be loved, to be connected, to feel like we belong somewhere. And yet we try and get that experience and we get rejected or we get, um, kind of blocked in that ability we often then want to internalize it and make it be something about ourselves that we say like yeah there's something about me that isn't enough here and um that for me and your story is just like you know all those moments it's been it's awesome to hear you talk about it today because they aren't like like your moment at cedarville it doesn't define you anymore you know it's something that now is a part of your story and you share it with people and you can like look back and you can say like it's really painful but like I I'm not that guy and um and I think that just is in that idea of like belonging like you actually belong here you know and that like when all of us and myself included like we fail you in being what you need us to be in your life in that moment, it doesn't mean that the need that you have isn't worth anything. Um, it's like, it, it just means like, yeah, we're missing it or like it's not getting communicated. Like we're just not picking it up. But like God has always seen your need and has been with you in that. And um, that's just a beautiful testimony to like how God has walked with you and he's always been with you. Um, so the um, verse that came to me for you was um, in Hebrews 6, and um, it's 13 through 20. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, which you are, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, I think about like depression, and depression is most often defined by the lack of hope. Um, and so that like in that, like there's hope in all that you do. And, um, just, yeah, that sense of like belonging, like, thank you for like accepting us too. Um, and saying like, all right, I belong here and listening to God and letting us be a part of your family. Um, and then for the body, um, for us as Parker Ford Church, um, I, I hear that as well. 
in in many respects, right? That um, knowing who we are, that we're not just like this moment, you know, that like letting the right things define us um, is is really important. And um, Parker Ford has a great history and a great story. And whether you're historically a part of this church or whether it's your first time here, like you are an imprint in the identity of who we are as a church. And um, there's um, two passages. Um, Christina had this one, uh, which was... um, I think for for you, Josh, as well as for the body in in the Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seat at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And um, just that idea of, like, when we put Christ in our minds and that's what we pursue, then we become with a part of, of him and um, will appear with him in glory. And then the um, last verse I have for this morning is um, Ephesians 2. And just talking about, like, what is it? You know, like, sometimes when we're going through a tough situation, that situation seems to define our circumstance and where we're at. And um, it's hard to see what is it, God, that you're growing us into? What is it that you're bringing us into? You know, we've heard from Josh's story, like, where Josh is has been the sum of his experiences. And, and God is, like, with him, and God has blessed him in, in a lot because his, his faithfulness to walk with God. And in the same way, I think we could say God has continued to bless Parker Ford and continues to grow her and strengthen her and, and shape us. And so um, Ephesians 2, it says, and verse 17, and he came and preached, this Jesus, peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We belong in God's household. Uh, were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. When we think about, um, it says, in the Lord, him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Just that idea, like, our stories our history, personal and as a body. Like it's God growing us into a temple, a place where he gets to dwell. And when we think about that as being a purpose or that's like where we belong, then the negative no longer stands as the defining thing about who we are, but what God is going to use in that. I mean, think about how many people Josh got to speak to and, and connect with because he's had these experiences that have caused a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in his life, but they've allowed for connection. They've allowed for attachment and intimacy with people. 
And when we as a church aren't afraid of our struggles and when we're not afraid of the, the blemishes in our story, it actually makes us more human. It makes us more real. And it's the thing that God would use to grow us into a place of worship for him. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for Josh's testimony how powerful it is to see you work, God. That in you, there is no darkness. Even when we can be standing there feeling like we're completely surrounded in pitch black, God, you bring light that shines in the darkness. Amen. If I may, real quick, Josh mentioned that we went to church together. Josh is the one person in this room I've known longer than my wife. I think it's vice versa. Part of his story, I'm a part of. I was one of those friends that was not there for him when he hurt himself. And I like to say I'm sorry for that. I left you alone. I shouldn't have. Jesus, thank you for being the one to make us whole. Thank you for being the one that sees who we are through you. And Lord, thank you for making Josh whole. Thank you for bringing him here. Thank you for his story. And Lord, we just ask that you would just bless him, bless his family immediate and his fan his his parents his in-laws his his brother lord stacy's family everybody lord that just has heard his story lord that they would be blessed and be able to bless him in a way lord that just blows his mind lord thank you for being there for us and lord we just pray lord that you would bless him we love you